our historical lesson for Pentecost is a one that we tell every year. So if it sounds familiar, it's because it is. We've been telling it for thousands of years because it's Pentecost. I hope you're wearing red at home. Send us your pictures, post them online, send them in. I hope you're wearing red at home to celebrate this important day. And if not, you still have plenty of time today to put on some red and celebrate Pentecost. It's a symbol of fire. And right now our city is on fire and we need to talk about that. But I invite you today as part of your spiritual discipline this afternoon to read the following passage from the book of Acts chapter 2 verses 1 through 21. I'm only going to read a few of these verses today, not the entire passage. But I invite you to read the entire passage and see what you hear in this passage given everything that's been happening in our country this past week and these past few months. It was written this way. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them the ability The writer goes on, but Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. And after some more text, he said, no, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. And the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in the heaven above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone, everyone, who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Here ends the reading. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Again, I hope you all are are given the band Love Online. They work awfully hard. A special thank you to David Butler today. Can we give David a special thank you, a round of applause for all the work he did putting together the voices of our gospel choir. There might have been a little auto-tune involved, I'm not sure, but I think we sounded absolutely great and really appreciate everyone who participated. And we're looking forward to doing more of those creative kinds of things because we know right now that we have to do things in a new way because we're still living in the midst of a pandemic. So we're adjusting, we're adapting, and we're looking forward to finding new ways to bring music and word and encouragement to all of you. So let us pray. Take my lips, O Lord, and speak through them. Take our minds and think with them. Take our hearts and everything else and set us on fire. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, good morning. You know, the past 24 hours have been a time of uh, serious reflection for me and my fellow church pastors about what has happened in our country and 
what lies ahead. And in many ways, we are still processing. As church member Sandy prophetically posted yesterday on Facebook, she wrote, it just hit me. Well, first of all, do you all remember the, the movie Hidden Figures about the mathematicians, the ladies who helped Apollo 11? So we'll set this in historical context. And Sandy wrote, it just hit me that 50 years after black female mathematicians helped launch Apollo 11, the first commercial manned U.S. spaceflight lifts off in the shadow of George Floyd. I thought that was prophetic. Our country is facing an unprecedented time. And so often I have my sermon prepared and then 24 hours before we end up here, things happen and that goes out the window and you have to find a new way to bring God's word into this world. So I wanted to share with you, if for any reason you've been avoiding the news, I wanted to share with you kind of where we are. The headline in Friday's Washington Post put it this way, gripped by disease, unemployment, and outrage at the police, America plunges into crisis. So if you've been too busy homeschooling your kids right now or too stressed to connect or you've gotten burned out from the quarantine or you've decided to escape it all with Netflix, here is how the Washington Post journalists summed up where we are right now. They wrote, a global pandemic has now killed more than 100,000 Americans and left 40 million Americans unemployed in its wake. 40 million Americans. They continued protests, some of them violent, have once again erupted in spots across the country over police killings of black Americans. President Trump, they wrote, meanwhile, is waging a war against Twitter, attacking his political rivals, criticizing a voting practice he himself uses, and suggesting that looters should be shot or worse. America's persistent political dysfunction and racial inequality were laid bare this week as the coronavirus death toll hit a tragic new milestone and as the country was served yet another reminder of how black people are killed by law enforcement in disproportionately high numbers. How many of you saw that horrifying video of George Floyd's murder by a Minneapolis police officer? Siren's probably appropriate right now. Raise your hand online. Let us know if you saw that video. It is something you cannot unsee. I haven't slept really well this week. I really haven't. You cannot unsee it. The Washington Post put together these events present a grim tableau of a nation in crisis, one seared by violence against its citizens, plagued by a deadly disease that remains uncontained and rattled by a devastating blow to its economy. The confluence of these events in such a short span of time, and that's critical, under this president has exacerbated the nation's sense of unease. The threads of our civic life could start unraveling because everybody's living in a tinderbox, wrote a historian. And I thought about that and I thought a tinderbox indeed because all across this country, we saw the National Guard roll overnight into our cities to maintain order, to enforce curfews and to assist local law enforcement as we received word that in some cases, white supremacist anarchist groups 
could be behind some of the violent turns in what were otherwise peaceful protests across the country. Peaceful protests that were marred anyway by the militarization of our local police who actually crossed the line yesterday, really crossed the line. I don't know if you've seen some of those pictures. Um, There's a slide that I had. You know, they maced elected officials, and that's one of the pictures that was taken, one of the photos of the Columbus Police Department using tear gas on a sitting U.S. House representative, Joyce Beatty. A distinguished representative and a white-haired grandmother, might I add, on the front lines of this. And they also maced the president of the Columbus City Council and a Franklin County commissioner. And you have to ask, why were they maced? It's because they were all African-American. My guess is that Columbus Police Department officer had no idea who they were, which is astonishing if you think about it in and of itself. It was quite a day. How many of you, raise your hands online and in the sanctuary, how many of you have seen those pictures of people being maced and what happened in the protests and what was going on? Yeah, that's why we have to talk about it today. Most of you have just been deeply ensconced in the news right now. You know, um, yesterday was one of the few times, and it pains me, it was one of the few times I can remember that I did not go to a racial justice protest. And it pains me. Due to the COVID-19 pandemic, and I know this impacted others of you because I've heard from you, due to the COVID-19 pandemic, I live in a family household with high-risk people. So protests with thousands of people who may or may not wear their masks and practice social distancing and behave in a safe manner, it actually proved too great a risk for my family. After months of careful quarantining and remote work and limited in-person engagements with St. John's being a priority to help us move forward here as a church during this pandemic. And in fact, over the past few weeks, I've been deeply absorbed in the public health research about COVID-19, as well as local and national clergy best practices, as we developed St. John's plans for next steps for limited in-person worship attendance, which started today. That was supposed to be the focus of today, was starting our limited in-person worship attendance practice with RSVPs and getting feedback and finding out what worked and what didn't. If you haven't seen the link for that, it's in the invitation video that's on our church Facebook page that um, we posted this week. So having said that, I'm incredibly grateful that Dan and Hank and Mary and Elena and Gary W. and so many others were there for the church and the community yesterday in the Columbus Black Lives Matter protest. We have a deep social justice bench here at St. John's. Can I get an amen? We have a deep social justice bench here at St. John's, and it is a privilege to lead with our next generation of activists. You see, protests in some ways are literally in my blood. I, I always hesitate to date myself, but I was born in the 60s. I'm a Gen Xer. I always have to, you know, people call you a boomer. It's like, no, I'm a Gen Xer. And, you know, that usually is another conversation. But I'm a Gen Xer. And I remember protests being infused into my very being as a child. During the civil rights era, the Vietnam War protests, the Pentagon Papers, 
the Watergate scandal. How many remember the book All the President's Men and then the, the historic movie with Dustin Hoffman and Robert Redford? Let us know online if you remember that movie. If you remember the impeachment and resignation of Nixon. Back then, if you got impeached, you resigned. And then the women's rights movement. I've said this online. I highly recommend Mrs. America on Hulu if you haven't seen it, the eight-part series about trying to overcome 10,000 years of racism and patriarchy and what that actually looked like at the time. I think Kate Blanchett is going to win the Emmy for her portrayal of Phyllis Schlafly in that. But it's one of the few really good insights into the intersectionality of what was happening in our country. But anyway... Decades ago, I was born into a church in the Deep South, and I was raised in the fire of religious transformation. And protests were just what you did. In spite of the risks, they were just what you did. That's what I saw religious leaders in my tradition do. In those early years, I was a little preacher's kid who thought that fire and church belonged in the same sense. So I want to take you back a few decades to St. John's church history especially as this is the first time that that I know of that we had to drive past the National Guard in our city to get to church. How many of you saw the the militarized vehicles and the National Guard and SWAT? And I mean, that sends a chill through you. But I want to share a piece of history because every year I like to share this story in one way or another at least once. And some of you have heard this story, and it will sound familiar. Our new people have never heard it, and I hope all of you remember it. I hope that it is seared into your memory because it it is part of our church history. It was Palm Sunday, spring, April 7th, 1963. I was still a baby at my father's church in the Deep South, where, as I mentioned, I was raised in the fire of religious transformation. And back then... When you said the church was on fire, you had to distinguish between whether you meant the fire of the Holy Spirit or like the church really was on fire. Because in the South, sometimes churches caught on fire. And some of those churches grew exponentially to be where they are today. They're still thriving. And some of those churches burned to ashes, never to experience resurrection and new life. And I remember growing up wondering, I asked a lot of questions as a kid, why did some churches burn to ashes while other churches burn to new life? I always thought about that juxtaposition between ashes and fire and death and new life, especially every Pentecost. So in our story, it was Palm Sunday, April 7th, 1963, and our church literally was on fire. St. John's was on fire. And I thought about this last night, about including this story this year, because I kind of worried with everything happening downtown last night if our church was going to be okay. I don't know how many of you thought about that, about whether our church was going to be okay, whether we would find graffiti or fire or broken windows or what was going to be happening given everything that was going on downtown. So when you read our church history... You can read that it was called the dream of our founders was on fire. And at that time, the church was without a regular pastor. The former senior pastor had died the previous November at the age of 51. 
And it was a hushed up and shameful secret that he had died by suicide while serving our church in an era where men often could not share their emotional pain, much less get treatment for it. St. John's almost didn't recover from that pain of losing their beloved pastor. When I first started here, there were still church members here who wanted to pretend that didn't happen. You know, have you ever had someone in your life or your family who engaged in revisionist history and they kind of revised history instead of just telling the truth about it? It was so painful. So the church was on fire. It did not have a senior pastor. And it was Palm Sunday, 1963. And you can imagine fire trucks pulling up to St. John's and then neighbors calling neighbors about the distressing news. This is back when you had to do phone trees. You can imagine the crowd outside the church assessing the damage and determining what it would cost to rebuild and figuring out if the church would indeed survive. And it just made me continue to ask, why do some churches burn to ashes while others burn to new life? And perhaps it's because a true church knows that the church is not the building, no matter how grand. A true church knows that the church is its people. We've lived this truth once again in 2020. As the COVID-19 pandemic closed our building to worshipers, today is the first time in, what, two and a half months, we have two people here who are helping us, thank you, find our way forward and give us feedback about how our revised worship practices are going to work. But it wasn't fire this time that closed our church. It was a pandemic. But we learned once again where our true power and our true faith lies. It's in all of you. It's in our people. Can I get an amen online? The building can burn or it can close. Downtown can close and be on fire. And you still have one another and Jesus and the fire of the spirit, which is all we ever really needed or maybe all we really ever had in the first place. Well, there was a long and difficult journey for the church back then into an unimaginable future. And somehow those church members back then decided to fan the flames of the burning embers into the church that we have today. They would not let this church back in 1963 remain in the ashes. And we won't either. This church will not fall to the ashes of this pandemic. It has already caught fire. But... I share this true St. John's church story because it is Pentecost. It is a day that we revisit our church history. We revisit why 2,000 years later we are still here. This is our once-a-year ashes-to-fire church service when we remind ourselves of the chance or the hope or the promise that the Holy Spirit will show up for us and to us and in us, just as it did for the early church so that we too today might be a church that is on fire with faith, a church that speaks in multiple languages of diversity and community, a church that is an oxygen-filled hurricane of justice when so many of our citizens are crying out, I can't breathe, as they pass before their time under the law enforcement knees and societal yokes and oppression of the dominant class. I cannot get through this sermon 
without being moved by that. May we be an oxygen-filled hurricane of justice for anybody who can't breathe. Come here and we will give you oxygen, just like Mary blowing up that balloon. We will fill your spirit again. We will help you. But for our church to be all of that once a year, we first have to offer the ashes of our dry bones, our empty bones, to be spiritually fired again and filled. We have to offer the ashes of our grief and pain that hold us back from facing and embracing the truth in life. We are being called today on Pentecost to offer up the ashes of our hurt, our preferences, our grudges, our racist, sexist, you name it, failures to treat our neighbors as ourselves, as well as offering up our privilege and our commitment to crushing conflict and violence instead of peace, all of which keep us from reconciling with God, with each other, and with the world. Because you may have heard this said before, but I'm going to say it again, that hurt people hurt people. Richard Rohr wrote, if we do not transform our pain, we will most assuredly transmit it. Individually, in our relationships, in our work, in our church, in our world. Plus, we have to offer up the ashes of our growing numbness. You know, I had to to do this sermon and the feelings, uh, the empathy, the care kept welling up. And I had to remind myself that was okay. It was an okay alternative to growing numb to all of this. We have to offer up the ashes of our growing numbness to the tragedies, this pandemic, what's happening in our, all across our country, the mass violence and the shootings. I mean, when did we let that become normal? Because we let it become normal, didn't we? We have to offer up the ashes of the racism and the sexism and the discrimination and the violence and the hate that we continue, that we continue to let persist in our society. The hate that made it possible for George Floyd to die gasping for air for nine full minutes with onlookers screaming for the officers to just let him breathe. And I invite you today to honor that nine minutes. Take a timer this afternoon, go somewhere quiet, and just count the seconds, 540 of them. Count the seconds that were the difference between life and death. No wonder our society erupted this week in parental wails and communal protests. No wonder. Well, today on Pentecost Sunday, as we offer all of those ashes up, we are also called to offer up the ashes of our disbelief that the impossible can still happen. How many of us don't think it's possible for our society to change? We have to offer up that disbelief that the impossible can happen in our church and in the world. Our world is being purged right now. It's being fired right now. It's being purified right now all across the world. We have to offer up the ashes of our disbelief because the fire of Pentecost taught us long ago that there is a revolutionary power in God's love, a love that can turn ashes into fire and fire into new life. So today, now 
The rest of you are not here today, so we did this online. We collected online the cares and concerns and other things that you submitted, the fear, the regret, the pain, the anxiety, the remorse, anything that's getting in the way of your life and your relationships and your work in this world. Because we always first have to start with ourselves, don't we? We always want everybody else to change so we feel better. It doesn't work that way. You always have to start first with yourself, our own thoughts, our own emotions, our own spirits. And I'll invite David to come forward because some of you have shared your fears and your concerns online. If you haven't had a chance to do this, you can do it at home now. Don't light your house on fire. Don't do that. Don't. I have special paper and, and flame here. So, But just take a minute while we're doing this exercise because this is a once-a-year burnt offering of ashes so that our lives might be free to live with courage and peace during this complicated and challenging time in history. We cannot give up. We cannot get numb. We have to feel what's going on, but together we can find courage and peace to live through this challenging time. So I want to offer now to the ashes, and I'm going to take a minute to read what some of you anonymously have shared with Mary and put online, and we've, we've transformed it into pieces of paper so that we can burn these ashes into fire. Someone wrote, they want to burn away the fear that I will turn away from peace. They want to burn away injustice. They want to burn away their fear about career and finances and the lack of peace and love in our world right now. They have struggling relatives that they're so concerned about and cannot help. They want to burn away their impotence and their worry about what's next. Burn away the worry for a friend who is a cop who took a brick to the head and was knocked out. Want to burn away worry about the job and burn away the police violence and the concerns about city leadership instead finding a way forward to help. Burn away worries about health and and a call for a better president. Right? The health of family members that cause so much concern and want to burn away the anxiety that is paralyzing right now. Someone wants help processing the police violence that they saw at the protest. So hard to comprehend. And struggling with depression and work relationships and getting music gigs back and the health of vulnerable parents and people in our lives. Concern over our own health. Someone wants to find a way to live when their children are afraid. Someone's worried about having enough food to eat. Someone's worried about their marriage. Someone's worried about Columbus. And some of you at home are writing some things down at home. So I'm going to take a couple more pieces of the special paper and offer up the concerns and the cares, the anxiety, the fears, the regret, the remorse, anything that's getting in the way of you moving forward 
in life right now in this challenging time and not giving up. We burn those away too. You know, there is something so powerful about the metaphor of fire. And I've said this before. If you're new, you may not know about the theologian and Jesuit priest, Pierre Telhard de Chardin. I recommend his writings to you. He was arguably one of the great minds and one of the great spirits of the 20th century. He was a theologian as well as a scientist, a mystic as well as a teacher. He wrote that the discovery or invention or harnessing of fire was one of the great scientific and technological discoveries of humankind. Fire, to a great extent, made human civilization possible. Fire made it possible to cook food and provide sanitary ways of eating. Fire made it possible to heat cold environments and therefore allowing for migration to different parts of the country and the world. You know, there'd be no Bronze Age without fire, no Iron Age without fire, no Industrial Revolution without fire. You know, our advances in science and technology, you may not know, are still dependent upon fire. Anybody drive their car this week? Raise your hand online if you drove your car. That's a controlled, harnessed fire that made that possible. Fire made it possible. You might not know this. Fire made it possible for us to text and tweet and email and Instagram and Facebook and to be socially dysfunctional with each other during this pandemic. That's fire. Fire makes all of that possible. Deschardin went on to say that if humanity ever captures the energy of love, the energy of love, it will be the second time in history that we have discovered fire. His quote was, the day will come when after harnessing space, the winds, the tides, and gravitation, we shall harness for God the energies of love. And on that day, for the second time in the history of the world, man will have discovered fire. That's what the fire of Pentecost is all about, capturing the love of God. Pentecost lit the fire of the church in 33 AD. 33 AD. I'm always so moved. Think about it. 2,000 years ago, a fire that burns all the way to your heart and mine this very morning. We're here because of that fire. So even if this building burned to the ground tomorrow, I was worried about that last night, that there would be fires. But I thought, even if this building burned to the ground tomorrow, even if our city burned to the ground tomorrow, I'm not advocating that, and I hope that does not happen, but we would still have one another and Jesus and the fire of the Holy Spirit, which is all we ever really needed and maybe all we ever really had in the first place. So let me end with a very powerful reflection from Bishop Stephen Charleston about the eventful, impactful events that have happened this past week. He wrote, One man dies in the street, pleading for his life. And overnight, those streets erupt in anger at the injustice, not only for that dreadful moment, but for a lifetime of oppression. 100,000 die from a virus, all innocent victims from a heartless disease. But a balance of color shows more die from one community than others. 
Racism breeds death. Either visibly for all the world to see or silently hidden beneath the statistics and the excuses. May the spirit empower us to face this reality and not turn away. Racism is as virulent as COVID-19. Infecting people who seem to have no outward symptoms until behavior reveals their disease. The vaccine for racism is justice. The cure is equality. And the prevention is love. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Almighty God, thank you for reminding us that there is a courageous fire in the world that cannot be quenched, a spiritual fire that cannot be extinguished because it is fueled by your never-ending love. Help us to remember to go out and tell someone about your son Jesus and about the possibilities that still exist to harness the energies of love, to transform our world into a world of justice, safety, peace, and plenty for everyone. In Jesus' holy name, amen.